Today, Pastor David will begin a two-week series called Out with the Old. Because sometimes to embrace what's new, you have to let go of the old. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Well, I'm going to go out on a wild limb here and take a guess that because of the season that we just came through, that you probably cleaned out and emptied your house of some old things that you don't use anymore, that, uh, that uh, you didn't want anymore, and you emptied it out to make rooms for some new things, maybe that you got a couple of weeks ago, or some new things that uh, you knew you were getting or you planned to get in the coming days. It's that old mantra, right? Out with the old, in with the new. And for some things, when it comes to getting rid of some things, we're good with that. There's some things we're more than willing to get rid of, more than willing to let go of. For other things, we're kind of like, hold up, right? I mean, we're like, I'm, I don't know that I'm ready to let go of that thing or get rid of that thing or move on from that thing. Believe it or not, there's been some study and research done on change acceptance and, well, and, and how we handle change in our life. This, uh, and there was a curve kind of created from it to show how people adapt to change. Now, this curve and this study that, that I have to, to show you, it really relates primarily with technology. But let's face it, most of the change we embrace in our life today, technology is involved in some way, shape, or form. But it, it, you have five different categories of people here. you got the innovators, they call them, or the enthusiasts, the early adopters, the visionaries, the early majority or the pragmatists, the late majority or the conservatives. And that has nothing to do with political stance. That is just the literal definition of being conservative, all right? Laggards and skeptics fall on the end. And if you fall on the end and how you handle change, aren't you glad that someone calls you a laggard? Doesn't that just make you feel good to know that you're called a laggard, right? So, but here's the breakdown of it. About two and a half percent, they say, fall in the innovators enthusiast category. These are those people that they're ready for any change, anytime, anywhere. I want to embrace it. I want it. Give it to me. Let's go. They're passionate about it. That's why they call them enthusiasts. They're, they're in line, they're ready, they're willing to adapt whatever change is being thrown at them. They want it. 13.5% fall under the early adopters or the visionaries, all right? These are the people that they're not afraid of the change necessarily, but they're a little bit slower. They want to see some reviews about the change itself and what's taking place before they uh, go into it. And But they will go into it relatively quickly. Then you've got 34%, they say, are early majority or pragmatists. These are wanting to see the changes validated, those reviews validated. They want to see this thing working, and, and then they will jump in. They'll be a part of the change. Then another big percentage of 34% following that late majority or those that are more conservative in their decision-making. And so they're saying, we want to know that there's proven success behind this change and we will decide to make the change just before we're forced to make the change, right? Then you've got the 16% of you who says, I'm not changing until you make me change, right? That's the, the laggards and the skeptics is what they call you, not me. I didn't call you that, all right? They, they, it's, uh, they, they're saying, we'll, we'll change. But, and when you make that change, because you're forced to make that change, you're still going to say the old way is better than the new way, right? That's, that's kind of the, the, the mindset that you have and that you take with you. And I'm sure you know exactly where you fall along that curve, right? You, you look at that and you have an idea. I know exactly where I fall along that curve. When Jesus came, when he walked this earth, when he walked uh, amongst the people. He brought with him something new. And when he came and he encountered people, he encountered everyone from enthusiasts to skeptics and all in between, right? 
But he was very clear on the fact that what he brought and this particular new that he brought, that in order to obtain this new and embrace this new, the old had to be let go of. The old had to be released. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those guys who wrote in there what we call the Gospels, all three of those guys shared this encounter, shared this time where Jesus had not been long after he had called Matthew to be one of his followers. And so Jesus goes and he's spending some time at Matthew's house. He's hanging out with Matthew and some of Matthew's friends. All right. These were not religious people. Okay. Uh, they are what the Bible would consider sinners. What they, they are lost without Christ. Okay. And so Jesus is hanging out with them. He's spending time with them. The Pharisees who would have been the religious teachers and the, uh, those in charge of the religious law and all that kind of stuff. They did not understand this method of Jesus. They couldn't understand why he was doing this. So they asked questions about this. What's going on? They also had another question in regards to their fasting because Jesus and his disciples didn't fast like the religious leaders fasted. So Jesus took a moment to teach them like he does well in any of these situations. He takes a moment to teach them regarding the situation. And we're going to look at Matthew's retelling of this encounter. And Luke, or, I mean Luke's retelling of it. Excuse me. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can go with me there and, uh, and see it. It will be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 35. Jesus is kind of answering this question, and he, he's been talking about why they don't fast. He's related it to a wedding party, okay? And so he's ending that conversation, and he says this. He says, someday the groom will be taken away from them. He's talking about himself, and then they will fast. All right, but he's saying that while he's with them, they don't need to fast because his presence is literally right there with them. All right, But then we go into verse 36 and we see Jesus say this. Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment will be ruined and the new patch won't even match the old garment. Right, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins for The new wine would burst the wineskin, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. And then he says this, But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. They say this, and this might sound familiar. The old is just fine, they say. All right, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about what Jesus is getting at here. He starts by talking about patching old garments onto new garments, all right? And some of you are thinking, well, what's wrong with that? You grew up, that's how your mama did it for you, right? You got a hole in your pants or your britches, as they were called back in the day. You got a hole in them and mama patched the hole, right? That's what she did. You patched the hole. And so you might've walked away with some pants that kind of look like this over time. Because the more and more holes you got, the more patches got put in them. And so you got some pants, some britches that look like that, right? Got holes all over. And, 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 and not only that, and they would patch them till they can't patch them anymore. And then when they, if they were able to, uh, and they couldn't patch anymore, they cut them off and they make shorts out of them, right? Stewardship, baby. That's what that was. That's what you call that. So you're just making good of the resources you have. And some of you look at those pants and you're like, what's wrong with those pants? I like those pants. That's cool pants. I want to buy some pants like that. Where can I buy those pants? Others of you are thinking, why do you need to patch holes? You're saying, I want to go. I want to buy some pants. You're going off and you're buying pants that look like these next pair of pants, right? They got holes all through them. You're not interested in patching those. I want those pants. Give me those pants. You're like, what's the point in patching pants? All right, listen, Jesus has a point to what he's talking about here, right? He's saying, look, you don't tear apart the new, right, to patch up the old. 
Because if you do that, the old is not going to have the value that it had. And the new is going to be destroyed because you've now torn it apart to patch the old. All right, so then he goes on and he starts talking about wine and wine skins and new wine and new wine skins, old wine skins. We need to understand some things a little bit historically, culturally in that day. This, this is not exactly like what they had as a wine skin in that day, but this is similar to what they had as a wine skin in those days. So basically what they would have is they would have these things and they would pour unfermented juice into these containers. And this thing would become the, a part of ferment, the fermenting process for the wine that would become wine. So what would happen is the process would take place. The gases would begin to form and the color and the balance and all that stuff that takes place in fermenting wine takes, takes place. And as the gases are doing what they do, just like they do in us, it, exp- <laughs> it expands, right? It expands the wine skin, right? And it adapts to what it's doing so that the wine can ferment. Okay, so and what Jesus is saying is you wouldn't take an old one of these, one that's already been used to ferment wine and pour unfermented juice into it and let the gases begin to do what it needs to do in that old wine skin. Because what's going to take place is once it begins to expand, it's going to burst the old wine skin because it can't handle the new wine. And now you've lost your wine skin and you've lost the new wine. So what is Jesus talking about in all this? Why is he talking about all these things? I believe that there are specific truths to what Jesus is teaching in all of this about the patching of garments and the wine and the wineskins. There's some specific truths that I want to point out to us. But I believe there's a principle of truth at play here as well. All right. Ultimately, what Jesus is getting at is, is the fact that God doesn't just mend our heart. He makes our hearts new. All right, this is pointing back to the prophecy of Ezekiel when he spoke to the nation of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 36, he says this quick statement in, in, in his speaking in verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. He is prophesying to what God is going to do through Jesus Christ. And he's going to put a new heart and a new spirit in you. He said, I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart, give you a tender, responsive heart. All right. Basically what that means is he's transforming your life. All right. Okay. There's not literal surgery that's taking place here, but he is transforming your heart and your life. He goes on in verse 27. He says, and I will put my spirit in you so that, all right, you know, from English class, why you pay attention to that phrase. So that because it's going to tell you the reason, the answer of the why, right? So we see the reason he's giving you a new heart. The reason he's giving you a new spirit is so that you will be able to follow his decrees and be careful to obey his regulations. All right. More on that in just a second. But this is what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is letting the Pharisees know that he did not come into the world to patch up the old garment. He didn't come into this world to patch up the law and try to make it look prettier. He came to pay the penalty ultimately of sin, of a sinful life. And he came to do that by dying on the cross. And not only did he die on the cross, he rose again. He resurrected. He had new life. And because of that, he gives us new life. He gives us new life in him and he gives us new life for eternity. And he gives us new relationship with our heavenly father. We can become clothed in the righteousness of Christ. See, through these illustrations that Jesus is teaching and what he's pointing out is, and this is one of the specific truths of what he's getting to, is that the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ 
cannot be intermingled with the works righteousness faith of Judaism of Jesus' day. Right? It, it's not to be intermingled. It is something new. And in many of Paul's letters, this is what he had to address. This is what he was writing to encounter and to speak of. When you look at the letters, especially like Galatians, it's all through Galatians and in, in different places, he is writing to address the fact that there are so many people that are wanting to take what Jesus did and put it into the old system. And Paul is saying, no, that's not what's taking place. That's not what happened. We are under a new covenant. Paul is having to constantly remind them we are under a new covenant and we do not live under ceremonial law. We do not live under having to perform sacrifices. We do not live under ceremonial traditions and and those things anymore. But now when you look at the context of Jesus's teaching and you look at the context of scripture, it's not that the old was bad or the old was evil. That's not the point. It's that the old was making way for something new. Look at what, in one of Jesus' other teachings, it's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52, we see him make this statement. He said, he's teaching him, he added to him, he said, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Now, is Jesus patching here? Is he, is he mixing new and old? No, I, I don't believe that's what Jesus is doing. What's happening is as the disciples are under Jesus's teaching, they are beginning to understand all that he's teaching in conjunction with everything that they already knew through the, what we have as the religious scriptures now, through the prophets, through the law, through those things. They're beginning to understand them more. St. Augustine said it this way about the old and the new. He said that the old covenant is revealed in the new and the new covenant is veiled in the old. That's why Jesus sat down with his disciples and, and, and scripture tells us that he explained to them beginning with Moses and all through the law and, and going to the prophets and all about the Psalms saying that everything that you see in those scriptures, they are pointing to him. They're talking about him. And he also told his disciples this. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Right? A great way to think about this is an acorn. You can take an acorn and you can put it on a counter or you can put it in a cracker or something and like a, one of those things and you can, uh, and you can destroy it, right? And you can crack it and you can destroy it and it can be for your enjoyment alone or for you alone. Or you can take an acorn and you can plant it in the ground and it can crack on its own and it can produce and it can give birth and it can develop an oak tree that would benefit more than just you. That's what's happening in what Jesus did with the law. There's a sense in which the old covenant, the the old covenant is gone. And its purpose has been fulfilled in the work of Christ and what he did on the cross and what he did in the resurrection. In addition, in the new covenant or with the new covenant, when we put ourselves in Christ, Jesus says the law is not abolished. But here's the thing. God gives us his Holy Spirit to enable us to be able to live according to how he wants us to live with others and with him in relation to others and in relation to him. The difference is this is instead of us producing works to try to gain salvation, we have salvation by grace through faith in Christ and that faith and that grace then through his spirit produces in us good works. 
See, Jesus came to live out the law in a way that no man, no woman could ever live out the law and fulfill the law. He is the only one that come and could live a perfect life. And because he did that, when we put ourselves in him, when we receive the new wine of the gospel that's carried in the new wineskin of grace, then we will be clothed with a new outfit of righteousness in Christ. And we don't have to patch things up with law and ceremonial ritual anymore. See, the Jewish leaders and religious leaders of that day, they viewed themselves as righteous because of what they did. But Jesus came and he preached repentance because of what we do. They had religious works that they followed and it produced in them prideful hearts. That's what it produced because they said, look at me and look how good I am. But Jesus taught humility. He said, it's not about you. Religious leaders and Jewish leaders of, of that day, it was all about outward observance. But that outward observance produced empty, had empty meaning because they were neglecting the inward deceptiveness of their heart. And Jesus came and he taught that there's an in, inward transformation that Jesus wants to do inside of us that will then produce a meaningful and fulfilling outward way of living. The, the religious leaders of that day was all about approval of man. And Jesus said in him, you have approval of God. See, Jesus is just doing and, and what the prophet Isaiah said was going to happen. Behold, God is doing a new thing. This was what was taking place. And Jesus is saying to embrace the new thing that God is doing, you're going to have to let go of the old. And in his teaching, that's, so that was, that's one aspect of the specific truth that's there. Another, Jesus is also making it clear that the old man cannot hold on to the new man that's wanting to be produced in you. If you're trying to keep the old way of, your, of a sinful life and accept what Jesus has done for you, Jesus is making it clear the new will end up being lost. It's just like with the wineskin. The old wineskin cannot carry the new. Because there is a new nature that God wants to produce in us when we come to Him. When we come to Christ, in essence, within us, in essence, by nature, we are not to be the same as we were without Him. We are to be new. We are to be different. Paul talks about all throughout his letters that there's an old nature that we have to let go of. There's a new nature that we embrace. I'll give you just a few examples. Colossians and, and his writing to the church of Colossae. Colossae. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Don't lie to each other. In other words, don't, don't pretend to be something that you're not to be. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. So put on your new nature and be renewed or let become new as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So you're taking off that old sinful things, those old sinful things, Strip them off and embrace the new. In his, church, in his letter to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, he said, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. But what does he say? Instead, let the Spirit renew or make new in you your thoughts and your attitudes. Right? Then he says again in one other place, I'll just show you. Second Corinthians church, second letter of the church of Corinth. Second Corinthians chapter five or 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. 
right? That literally means bye-bye. The new life has begun. That has to be our mindset. That has to be the way we think that that's not me anymore. One, a great example I heard of this is a story about St. Augustine or, or that I read. He was talking about how in his younger days, he was not a follower of Christ. He, he did not embrace the teachings of Christ and he lived a sinful life. And as he, he embraced the teachings of Christ, his life changed. Um, one day he encountered a young woman who was a part of his younger sinful life. <laughs> and she came up to him excited to see him. And she was shouting, Augustine, Augustine. And the story says that he turned and began to run. And she's shouting out, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And as he's running, he's looking back saying, yeah, but it ain't I, it ain't I. Right? And that's the way our mentality has to be. That's the way our mindset has to be. We are a new person that cannot tolerate the sinful part of our old life. It's only in our new nature that we can contain the new growth, the fruit the character, the healing, the maturing that God wants to do, the Heavenly Father wants to do in us and through us. He loves you. You need to know that. He loves you. He loves you right now, whether or not, even if you think that a teaching about a man named Jesus walked on this earth, died on a cross, and rose from the dead, if you think it's false and a fable, He still loves you. He loves you. But here's the thing about his love. He loves you so much that he does not want you to be lost. And he loves you so much that he wants to make you into something new. Into someone new. He doesn't just want to reform your life. He wants to transform your life. He, he, he didn't come. Jesus didn't come to this earth just to become eventually a part of your life. He wants to be the center of your life. The whole of your life. He doesn't want to just give you better self-esteem to make you feel better about yourself. He wants to crucify, help you crucify the old sinful self and the old sinful nature and to begin to live under the Christ esteem for your life. He doesn't want to entertain you or be a part of some entertainment to your life that you just read about from time to time or listen to about from time to time. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants you to follow him. And live your life for him. So unbelief has to give way to faith. Pride's got to give way to humility. Carelessness has to give way to stewardship. Worldliness has to give way to holiness. Because Jesus has new habits. He's got new companions. He's got new desires. He's got new hopes. He's got all kind of new things that he wants to plant and give you in your life. But then he goes and he makes the statement. He says that there's a reason some won't drink the new because they love the old so much. And let's, we can be honest. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. There are things within us that there's some things that we like that are, that are older that we don't want to let go of. There's a passion within us for some old things or some old ways. You know, I believe I'm pretty adaptive to change. I'm pretty adapted to new things in life. But there are some things that I am slow to let go of. In fact, there's things that Jenny would love for me to get rid of. But I'm slow to get rid of them because of this, what I know who gave them to me and, and the story that comes behind them, right? So there's aspects of that in our life. But I don't think it's a coincidence that, that Jesus' first miracle that he performed was at that wedding party. Maybe you know this. He, his mother, Mary, told him they ran out of wine. 
and she told him to do something. And he's like, my time's not yet. And, and then mama looks at the people around and says, just do what he tells you to do. Right. And so Jesus says, go get these big canisters of water. And, and then they bring him all these vessels of water and he turns that water into wine. But what does the passage, what does these guys tell us in scripture that takes place at the party? When the wine was brought, everybody said that the new wine was better than the old wine. Little did they know that miracle was foreshadowing Jesus' teaching and foreshadowing what exactly Jesus was doing. That the new thing he was bringing was far better than the old that they were living under. And you've got to be willing to let go of the old to embrace the new. See, So those are some specific truths, but I believe that there is a principle of truth that, that Jesus is teaching in here as well. You know, we don't ever want to be a church that taints the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a timeless truth, but we believe that God can give us new methods to cover, to carry a never ending message. He can give us new methods to carry a, a message that's never changing, that's timeless. And we want to share this timeless message of the gospel with as many new opportunities that we have to as many new faces that we can. And so I just want to share with you, I mean, I feel the timing is right, the beginning of the new year, just real quick as we close out today, I want to share with you what, and remind you what we are wanting to see God do through this church and through this house. And I'm going to share them again through our vision and through our values, because I believe those hold to the timeless truths of God's word as we embrace new ways to carry this timely message. But I'll say again, we envision a church of disciple making disciples who love and serve others in a way that's magnetic and contagious. That's what we want to do. Because that's believe, I believe that's what the, the Bible has called us to. It's scriptural. And as we do that, We want to be a people that worship God with wonder. That worship God with wonder. You know, I know that as we begin to open our hearts and worship him in awe, not just go through a a set, whatever you want to call it, but we worship him and we open our hearts and, and contemplate who we're singing to. And what he's done for our life. And not just that, but we worship, our life worships him. That as we do that, we are opening our heart to the spirit to do new things in us. To birth new things in us. To open up new opportunities to us. To give us new revelation. I believe that that as we worship God with wonder, the more that we do that, we are going to see God break down and his Holy Spirit break down walls of hostility. He is going to free people from addictions. He is going to miraculously heal people. He's going to restore marriages and families. It was, it was in between the service today. I had a beautiful lady in, in this house and she came to me and she was talking to me about a story of, 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 of how when she was younger, She had, her and her first husband had a child. She was very young. And her mother did not, her parents did not want her to keep the child. This was right before they had gotten married. And so they put the child up for adoption. And she was led here recently to 
put out on an outlet that that this had happened however many years ago. I think it was 50-something years ago. 57 maybe is what she told me. And that if you are someone that's never known who your parents were, if you'd like to connect, we'd love to do that. In two weeks' time, she's made connection with the son that she had to give up 57 years ago. But for her, this is a God moment. And here's what I know about her. She is a woman that worships God with wonder through her life in everything that she does. And I believe God has opened up this opportunity to bring healing, not just for her, but for him. And I believe that we can continue to see more and more things happen like that in this atmosphere and out of these doors every day. I believe we can see, but we've got to, we've got to have that heart to worship God with wonder. We can hear more and more stories like that. And, and, and I believe God wants us to be a people that share our hope with humility. Because see, when we allow God to do something new in us and to make us into a new person and to transform our life, we want to share that. And as we share this hope with humility to others, it's going to bring people and draw people into this house. Now, I want to share with you a couple, some numbers that we're praying about, but these, I want you to know these numbers have nothing to do with just being able to express numbers or being able to share these numbers with any outlet or anything like that. It's all about souls because every number is a soul because every number represents a person and their heart and their life. So we are believing that, that this is going to be a year where God takes us to a place where 700 people at least call Bethel Worship Center, a place that is their family, that is their area, a place where they worship, where they celebrate, where they allow God to work through them within the body. And we're believing that con- consistently every week we're going to be reaching 500 people on this campus. I don't know if we're dreaming big enough because honestly right now we're already at just over 600 on that first number and right at 400 on that second number. But we're believing for God to take us there. And we're believing is that we share our hope with humility and we share what God's doing in our life, that people are going to be drawn to that and they're going to want to be a part of that. And they're going to want to be around it. And as that happens, we're going to have people come into this house that are not like you, maybe. That are not like us. That should be the desire. That's our desire. And so that means we need to be a people that love with no conditions. We are longing for this house to become more and more diverse in person. I am so appreciative of the diversity that is in this house and that is represented in this house. And I'm not just talking about diversity in the sense of black and white. That's where our minds go a lot of time. But I'm talking about diversity that represents the whole of our community. I'm talking about Hispanic. I'm talking about Asian. I'm talking about so many, so many others. We have been blessed with, with Hispanic families that have been coming to this church in the last year that have been plugging in to young adult environments that have been plugging in in other ways. And we want to do everything we can to allow them to be a part of the ministry of this house and do ministry in this house. We are looking for ways to use that technology we talked about earlier to provide translation. In fact, we had a couple in this house today. Uh, 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 the gentleman is, uh, speaks English. The, the, his wife is fluent in, in, in uh, Spanish, I believe it is, and doesn't really speak English. So she uses a tool that translates for her. We want to see more of that because we want to look like our community and, and, and I'll explain that in a second. But, but as we bring, as people come to this community, we're believing people's going to come in here struggling in ways that we might not be familiar with. We've had that throughout this year. We've seen bipolar and different things of struggling in ways, but we know that God is ministering to their heart and to their mind. We've had people in different lifestyles than ours coming into this house. We are believing for more and more of that. Why? Because we want to look like our community that's been transformed by the grace of Christ. 
That's what we want. So we love with no conditions. We want to be a people that grow together with hunger. We, I, we are believing that there is going to be a new desire birth in the people of this house for discipleship, for a hunger for discipleship in their life and in our life. This is why we're investing in the resources like Right Now Media and other, any, another thing that we can invest in to be able to provide outlets for, the, for you to be able to grow on your own with your family and with others in groups. We are believing for at least 15 new home groups to, to be birthed within this house this year to have more opportunities for discipleship to not just take place on this campus, but in people's homes because we believe that's biblical. And we believe that, the, that that's the body doing ministry to the body. We are believing that, that, that we're going to be people that serve with selflessness. We want to serve our community. We want to serve others. We are believing for at least 300 committed, active people who are serving in this house, in our Sunday morning services, and in the ministries that we do throughout this week. And again, maybe we're not dreaming big enough because we're just over 200 right now. But we want to see that. Why? Because we believe that's living out the heart of Jesus Christ. It's not about doing what Javen wants done, what any other pastor on the staff wants done. It's just about trying to follow what God has called us to do as one small body, part of the body of Christ in this community. We want to be a people that serve our community. I encourage our ministries in this house and people who birth small groups in this house to, to be a part of community activity and serve in different ways in whatever way that you can because we want our community to know that we're for them, not against them, that we're working with them. Another story I heard in between services today that blessed me so was a lady came up to me and, and told me that she was somewhere, I, I think she said a family gathering or something, and this person in, in began to talk about how they went to this event over Christmas on Fair Street. And so they went to this thing and they started showing pictures of it to everybody that was there. And they were saying, look at what they did. Look at what they did. And they said, you know what? Because that church did that and it was free and they gave it to the community. I think I want to go to that church. And the woman that was there and they heard that story, she said, um, that's where I go to church. You can come, come sit with me. We want to see more and more and more of that because we believe God is working in us and working through us and giving us new opportunities and new ways to share a timeless message to see God do new things in people's lives and to transform people. We're believing we're going to be a people that give with joy. I'm always so enamored by the generosity in this house. That's why you don't hear us beg and and talk about giving and, and, and things that we need so often because people in this house are so generous. Now, we do have some debt for things that we've done around on the campus and then with renovations and things like that. But we're believing God's going to miraculously, miraculously be, allow us to be able to pay that off sooner than we need to without having capital campaigns or things like that that we never have anyway. And we're believing that God's going to allow us to continue to do more in our community and to minister more to people and to do what we're doing now with Hank and to be able to pour into people's lives and and, and who feel like they have a call into ministry and things of that nature. I'm so excited about the opportunity that he's able to be here, that we're able to provide housing with no problem for him while he's here. We'll be able to provide a place for him to to do things and and, and he'll be able to grow. And there's a couple other young men in this house that I've been spending time with over this past year, pouring into their life and pouring into them because they feel a call from God into ministry. And I'm excited that in several, in just several months from now, they're going to be ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ in this house from this stage one Sunday. It's exciting to see what God is doing. 
And it's because we are people that do these things that we're talking about. And I believe that he wants to continue to do more and more of it. Because we want to take every new opportunity we have to carry forth a never-ending, timeless message of the gospel that we've been given through Jesus Christ. One last thing about wineskins, and then we're wrapping up. Wineskins, they embrace what's poured into them. They absorb it, they carry it, and they deliver it. That's what we've been called to do. We're to embrace what Jesus has done for us, what God wants to do for us in our life through him and through his Holy Spirit. We're to absorb every aspect of it, to soak it in, to let it expand us and grow us and mature us. And as we do that, then we are to carry it and we're to deliver it to anybody and everybody we have the opportunity to do so with. But we cannot take in that new if we hold on to an old, sinful, selfish self. So, as we close up, here's four questions. We're going to throw them on the screen one at a time. I want you to use these questions to just do introspection as we go into this week. Question number one, maybe you've already done this, but why not let today be the day of your salvation and allow God to transform you and transform your life? If you have never made Jesus Christ your Lord, your Savior, why wait? Why wait? Why? I know it's because there's things that most people that I talk to, it's because there's things they don't want to let go of about their life. But you know that those things are only momentary satisfactions. It's not ultimately fulfilling you. So if you've never taken that step to make him your Lord and Savior, I encourage you today to do exactly what Paul encouraged. And it's just to believe in your heart and confess him with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe that he came, that he lived on this earth, that he died. A death on a cross for you, for your sin, that he rose again, that people have seen a resurrected Jesus Christ. History tells us about this. And he did it for you to have new life in him. Let the day be the day you do that. Another thing to think about, what part of your old nature are you holding on to? Is there any old sinful ways? You know there's sinful ways. What old sinful ways are you just reluctant to let go of? In, in conjunction with that, what old destructive habits, mindsets even, are holding to you or you holding on to that you're unwilling, you've been unwilling to let go of or to let God change in you. And then lastly, what is something new that God wants you to do this year, wants you to embrace this year, wants you to carry out this year in order to carry his message of the gospel of his grace? What's something new? Stand with me this morning. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.